Hello, friends. Welcome to the Climbing Fierce podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping devoted Christ followers on the higher journey as they climb towards the plans, purposes, and presence of God. This podcast is built around the idea that life's not just a journey, but rather a purposeful climb to sovereign heights. I'm Hannah Schaefer, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Dr. Claudia Dempsey. We welcome you to journey alongside us as we explore common hangups, setbacks, and growth points on the journey of life, as well as some key strategies and resources so we can collaboratively climb together to reach new heights. This is Climbing Fierce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 10th episode. We're so grateful to have you join us wherever you're listening. We pray that this episode would bring clarity and encouragement as you pursue what God has for you this week. This week, we're going to be talking about a subtle tendency that everybody experiences where if ignored, the issue can have penetrating and far-reaching impact. What could this tendency be, you ask? Well, it's none other than the influence of the shoulds. The shoulds are those imposed standards of what we tell ourselves we ought to be doing with uh, doing in and with our lives. And I don't know about you, but I can already feel the shame temptation creeping up behind me. But Claudia, hi, my friend. You know I always want to hear some of your intent or your initial thoughts on the topic before we dive deep. So any personal stories or examples of a should in your life? Wow. Um, yes. You know, I actually have some very intentional moments of engaging the should factor. I can think of quite a few of those, but one that comes to mind is when I felt literally fell short of a should and ended up in a pretty, pretty sticky situation. So, um, so this was when a while back when I was either about to get married or we had just been married for a little while. I can't, I can't remember if it was before or after, but, um, my husband and I, went with some friends after church on a Sunday. We went to a local lake and we were going to get some some boats, rent some boats mm-hmm. and just go have an afternoon out on the lake. But being the really good Christians we were, we didn't skip church. This means that when we got to the lake, all the good boats were gone. <laughs> and so these little ratty old little metal rowboats were left. Oh, Nothing no. with a motor. I was like, oh man, so now we're, we're rowing. Nothing with a motor Nothing is what you just said. <laughs> Nothing with a... So now we're rowing. So... We get these two little little rowboats enough that it was we got two. So it was my husband and I, or soon to be husband, and then my girlfriend and her husband. And we're we're now out. My you know it's kind of I row on on the right, Dave's up front rowing on the left, and we're just you know out in in the springtime, beautiful day. And like, it's actually a marriage retreat. <laughs> <laughs> got to work on a couple things. <laughs> row the boat. <laughs> I'm going to get back on track. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, so we're out and it's maybe 30 minutes. <laughs> cracking me up. It's maybe 30 minutes into our little venture out here in, you know, in the wild. And we're near the shore, um, not too far, but close enough. And we see out on the other side of us, opposite the shore, um, we see a snake in the water. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, look at that. And I'm th- kind of thinking, honestly, in all sincerity, I'm like, oh, look at us out here in nature. Yeah, this is what we're doing. We're kind of experiencing <laughs> the world that God's created. 
And so we're just kind of watching, and the little snake kind of turns, and now he's coming. <laughs> you are cracking up. Now the little snake is. Are you, I'm cracking up also because you guys can't see this, but Claudia has one of her dogs in her lap, and that dog is just where I want to be, <laughs> like just sprawled out, belly rub, like belly just rub. living the best life. Sorry. Okay, I'm gonna rein it in. Okay, so we're out here on the lake. Yes. We see a snake. Mm-hmm. And initially, it's like, okay, well, you know, far enough off that it's just fine. Well, so it starts to come a little bit closer. I'm like, oh, it was really neat when it was far. Just get a little close now. I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Well, it proceeds to continue to come right up to the oh. rowboat. Not only right up to the rowboat, but it rears up out of the water <gasps> where... It is maybe a foot and a half to two feet up out of the water. So it's almost like looking at me. Oh my gosh. And it's probably the thickness of my arm. So <gasps> we're not talking like a little baby snake you see. And I am like, I, I, we talked about, I don't know when, recently we talked about the fight, flight, or freeze. I uh-huh. froze. I just froze right there. And it, it's staring right at me. And so my husband, being the amazing superhero that he is, he gets up from the front of the boat with his oar, big, big wooden oar, and he starts to beat the snake. <laughs> oh my gosh. He starts to beat the snake. Hannah, he beats it so hard that a probably a three-piece chunk of the wooden oar comes off. <gasps> the snake's not moving. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. So I go, and this is where the shoulds come in, because I'm thinking to myself, you should never panic. In a time of crisis, you don't panic. You should stay calm. And I'm talking myself through. So no, like the thought passed my mind, but I'm jumping. And I jump to the front of the boat. I don't land my jump. I end up in the water (gasps) now with the snake. So now Dave's like, he's beating the snake. And he's looking, he's like, get in the boat. And this deep, oh grovelly voice. I'm like, what is that? Now the snake proceeds to go under the water. Oh, my gosh. So now I'm hanging onto the side of the boat. He's like, Claudia, get in the boat. I have gone to, like, just a wet noodle. I'm totally mush. I can't do a thing. I'm like, I can't get in the boat. I, I couldn't move. This is literally a movie. So now he has got to come to the front of the boat. Little boat, you know, that's now kind of rocking back and forth as he's moving. He's got to steady the boat with his body. He now has to lift my body, dead weight. I can't move out of the water. Lift me literally into the boat while watching for the snake who may be coming back. So he finally lifts. The snake never returns, but we're left with like this half a paddle. And now I'm like, just take me home. And he's like, well, no, no, we're here. We're going to do some fishing. And I'm like, nope, no, I'm done for the day. I'm like, but Anna, Some fishing? Right. What? He wants to go fishing. So the moral of the story is my list of shoulds did not save me. No. It didn't help. Didn't help. Not one bit. I can feel myself sweating slightly <laughs> from that story. Like I was in that boat with you. It was you. terrible. And my dear friends sitting by watching the whole thing did nothing. I'm like, you guys are good for nothing friends. <laughs> they just were so shocked by what was happening. They didn't even move. Didn't move a muscle. And I'm like, oh, you're supposed to come help your friends in need. Oh, no, my. They should. Do not call them in a crisis. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, they should have helped, but they didn't. They did not. <laughs> and so you should not be their friend anymore. <laughs> okay, well, that is truly a story for the shoulds. <laughs> but it is a good segue into the topic because you're right. Your shoulds don't protect or protect or propel you into what we think 
we actually will do, right? Or haha, should, winky face. (laughs) So let's first take a few minutes and look at the anatomy of a should. Can you help us understand the structure and the implications of a should? Yeah, definitely. Because if we are going to get out from under the weight and the shackles of the shoulds that we carry, we really need to grasp what's happening here. So let's explore for a second the science of a should. And I guess specifically, we need to start with what are we even talking about when we're using this idea of shoulds? Well, Hannah, as you alluded to in that in the, your opening comments, when you say shoulds, these really are those imposed standards of what we feel like we ought to be doing in and through our lives. So where is a should born? Well, first, a should is an expectation that we impose on ourselves or others that is tied to some kind of preferred outcome. So the way this works, and and the truth is we all do this, a should is birthed in the moment we look at ourselves in the context of life or whatever's happening, and we make this judgment of what a preferred outcome or a circumstance should be. And then we create this these ideas or these intended ambitions that we subconsciously think are going to get us a little bit closer to those outcomes or those circumstances. So here we are, we look at what's going on and we tell ourselves, this isn't where I want to be in the moment. So then these driving internal directives that we start generating, they, they, they stem from these standard, these cultural standards that are around us. So, and I don't know about you, but I've plenty of times had this thought of like, you should be doing this by now, or you should be experiencing this by now, or surely you're still not struggling with that area. So okay. these these standards or these pressures or these thoughts of, I, I've got to be over this. I've got to be someplace else other than where I am right now. So there's these driving directives, um, and these we've got this idea of preferred outcomes. And then it's also important to note that our shoulds are so often linked to some aspect of comparison. So in other words, we look at ourselves and we look at where we are or what we're doing and we say, this is not where I should be. This Mm -hmm. is not what I should be doing. And so according to those internal shoulds, there's this idea that there's a gold standard out there and we're just not meeting it. Mm -hmm. We're not doing what we need to be doing. And so then what happens is we're governed by this discrepancy of where we are in reality And then where we really think we need to be, what's more preferred. And I'm telling you, that's just a miserable place to live. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's important to note that not all of the shoulds are negative. Sometimes shoulds can actually be neutral thoughts that are trying to maybe raise the bar or prompt a response from us. For example, um, you know, you have dogs. If you say, I should probably walk the dog before it rains, it's mentally prioritizing and redirecting your tasks and duties. So it's not not negative necessarily. It's, it's more of like a neutral thought. <clears throat> and often, uh, shoulds are known to be negative because they communicate a sense of greater obligation or insufficient effort. Um, and I don't know about you, but once they start, they seem to inundate my thoughts and it's really hard to kind of get out of the shame cycle that can come alongside of it. Yeah, absolutely. I see this a lot as a parent. Sorry, I keep clearing my throat. I'm just a little groggy. (laughs) Um, I see this a lot as a parent. The shoulds are coming for you and they are nonstop. (laughs) Um, Claudia, I'm imagining that you probably have experience in this and more experience than I do because you've been a parent for longer. But today being a parent, especially with social media, it really is nonstop. Mm, right. Um, there is pressure from all sides, and you really have to almost limit 
the amount of voices. Oh, for sure. Because the the shoulds, they're coming for you. Um, you know, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. If you don't do this, you will mess up your child forever. And by the way, it's actually irreversible. <laughs> you know, right. It's like just, it's it really you're, is nonstop. You're inundated, really. You really yes. are. And I know having a baby for the first time, it felt very overwhelming because that comparison piece mm. is is so real. And the reality is, is like all babies are different. Every situation is different. Um, and you should maybe do that thing if you had somebody else's baby, but might not be the best should for you. Right, for sure. <laughs> so, and this is really just another note, but I have found that I have to be careful not to over-romanticize the other side of the should. Because mm, um, I imagine good. that good goals and life change can come out of some of the shoulds, right? But on the flip side, a lot of shame can happen. If you don't do the should, you never even approach the should. Or there can be a lot of disappointment when you are romanticizing and you reach the other side and your expectations are way off of what what it actually looks like. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you know what I'm talking about or am I like truly the no, only one? No, no, absolutely. Because it really is. Shoulds are so rooted in comparison. It's a whole grass is always greener. Uh-huh. Um, we can look at somebody else's scenario and think that, um, again, I, I'm not experiencing the fullness that I see over there or right. something's deficient here and just our flesh kind of grabs hold of that and we go into a little bit of a, of a panic mode. And, and and as a result, we then start just showering our, our, our mind, showering us with these pressuring thoughts of do something, fix this. You, If you want that greener grass, go ahead and you got to get it, but you got to change what you're doing. Otherwise, you'll never have it. And it's mm-hmm. this panicked kind of response. But it's really helpful that, um, you know, pressure can provide some direction for, for, you know, the life pursuits we want to engage, what we want to engage down the road. But again, they also create this pressuring mechanism for us that then generates this panicked response. And so often it's condemning. It's not this encouraging voice. It's kind of like, what are you doing? I, I remember one time when I was kind of even just processing this stuff, Hannah, I was feeling the weight of this in a season. I'm like, man, this is, I was feeling miserable. I'm like, okay, stop, stop. I just need, I'm going to write down, I'm going to take 15 minutes. What, what are the things, dri- and I hadn't even used the language of what are the shoulds, but I'm like, what are these things that are driving me? And within a 15 minute period, I had 60 shoulds that I, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Boy, I should, I should drink more water. And mm-hmm. some of it was good. I should be taking my vitamins more regularly. I should have gotten up earlier to pray, but... But Mm -hmm. on every single one, it was an area where I was not doing all I could be to reach the gold standard. And that's just not attainable. I cannot be perfect in all aspects of life. And what it was, it was creating this weighty pressure. And I, I was feeling bad. I was feeling bad about the choices I was making when in reality, they were fine choices. Were they all perfect? No. Could somebody come up alongside and look better um, because maybe they had achieved something more? Sure. But all I felt in that moment was, was this weight. And, and then what happens is what results are these negative responses. We will get de- depressed. We'll get discouraged. Uh, we become apathetic because sometimes it hurts to keep caring so much. And if feeling that pressure, if I stayed in that moment, I would either have to withdraw. I couldn't stay there hmm. under this prolonged pressure. So what we do is we create these responses of, I either become apathetic or it's suffocating and I pull out and I, I withdraw or I live in that constant state of comparison or then I I do this a lot too. I'll kick in like, okay, I'm just going to do more. 
then I'll just, I've worked 60 hours. Well, next week, then maybe I should work 70. Right. Well, that's insane too. Yeah. So we do this, these crazy things that we think will try to help us walk out how to almost anchor ourselves for better results. When in reality, we sometimes just have to stop and look and say, what is happening here? And to recognize that a lot of this is just things we're imposing on ourselves. And that is a good reminder as we are quick, I think, to judge other people in the way that they respond and react Mm -hmm. to to things that there is always a reason why someone is doing what they're doing. And it could be some of the pressure of the slew of shoulds that they are mentally going through in their head. So, well, I would suspect that some listeners are wondering if what we're talking about is true for Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, And we've noted this before, but one of the things we hope for our listeners to pick up along the way is that Christians are actually not different from non-Christians in so many of the issues that we are talking about. Now, in a perfect world, yes, we should (laughs) be spiritual rock stars who flow effortlessly along the streams of faith, never disrupted or disoriented by the messes and the complications of life. But let's just be real. The reality is we're going to hit many of the same potholes and have the same bugs hit our windshields and struggle with many of the same issues as non-Christians. And um, I think for many of us, our stories, even before we knew the Lord and maybe some of the trauma and some of the ways that we were raised and uh, situations that happened to us and and life circumstances and all of those things play into what some of those, um, I think, pitfalls are. And life doesn't discriminate between Christians and non-Christians, even with Claudia's story from last episode, right? It's like hard things happen Mm, to everyone. And so the difference is that our faith can position us for greater health and hope through the process. But those things are not instinctual. We need to work at walking these things out. So for this particular issue, um, we may even be a bit more complex because we're Christians, because of all of the moral imperatives that we apply to our faith. We should pray more. I should love God more. I should do more at church. I should serve more. I should know my Bible better. I should have more faith. It's just it might even be heightened, right? Because we're believers. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that really is the case as we do from a Christian perspective, it might actually even be more complicated. So, mm-hmm. you know, do we say to Christians and non-Christians, both experiences, both do, but there may even be some added weight to the Christian on this journey because of what we think faith should mean and should should look, should look like <laughs> as it's lived out. But so it's really interesting, Hannah, as I've done a little bit of research on this topic, and I hadn't thought about this before, but when we experience guilt, that generally comes from instances or times when we feel like we've done something wrong. I, boy, I feel guilty that I robbed that bank. Um, <laughs> whereas shame, that surfaces when we fail to do what we believe is right. So in both instances, we've fallen short, but the guilt is because where I've, I've done something, the shame is I've not been enough. Hmm. And you, you alluded to that, and that shame is so painful. It really does, it penetrates deep because I chose to do the wrong thing and yeah, I'm guilty there. But the shame, I'm just not enough. Hmm. I don't measure up and I can't always fix that. And sometimes that shame stays because we feel like we can't do better. I'm bringing the best of what I have and it still falls short. Hmm. And shame communicates this message. You, you're just not enough. Either you did not do enough, you didn't succeed enough, you don't have enough, you don't look good enough, whatever it is, it just means that we're not enough. And then 
interestingly, what we do in response to shame, boy, it, it's kind of funny. We've talked about some of the, these things. We see action-oriented people, they're going to go in, into this overwork mode. When the shame comes, they're going to try to get through this by working even harder. They're going to overcompensate. They're going to strive. They're going to fret. These are the people who work harder. I mentioned that. Like, okay, maybe I'll, mm-hmm. I'll work 70 hours next week. Yeah. These are those folks who may resonate. They pull the all-nighters. They're the people who will often prioritize work over people, not because they don't appreciate people, but because there's this need to feel like they're accomplishing something, or they'll sometimes use busyness as a shield, or they're gonna try to compensate or manage for for things through action. These are, you know, sometimes the sometimes, not all the times, but these adrenaline junkies who just try through action to keep experiencing something. And then you've got on the other side, the flip side, you've got those avoidance prone people who will freeze or flee or try to numb what's happening. And those are the folks who who sometimes will put things off to the last minute or they make excuses for their inactivity uh, or they take comfort in things which distract or soothe them or they, you know, even will hide behind some things that are good, but because they're trying to avoid others. And in all of these, I think we make the mistake where we, we look and I'm like, man, that person is really just making some bad choices. I think the reality is, is man, look, they're really struggling and their ways to cope are not always the healthiest, but they're doing the best they, they can with what they know. And that's why we're talking about this. We want to inform perspectives that maybe they'll make some better choices as they're thinking through and processing these things. Speaking of better choices, Claudia, could your neighbor um, make some better choices and not mow their lawn while we're trying to record our podcast? (laughs) Did you hear that? I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So sorry if there was a little ringing in your ears, but I think that uh, the mowing should hopefully have subsided, but we're going to jump back in. So, you know, now obviously it would be ideal to be proactive and avoid certain things Um, and that would not be wrong or bad. Um, sometimes that is exactly probably what's needed, but we're talking about using these patterns of response as a way to cope. And that is when we need to take a step back, take a closer look at those things that may be driving our perspectives and our responses. Um, because, you know, learning to cope is, uh, something that we just learn how to do you mm-hmm. you don't think huh how should I cope right. with this situation yeah. and so it takes just a lot of effort to to kind of understand how do I cope how do I um kind of take on and and maybe guard myself do I tend towards the overwork or do I tend to avoid uh those sorts of things um you know do you have one way that you have found that's almost an unhealthy coping mechanism like if someone is processing through how they are, and they're not really sure where to start. I know for myself, I can tend towards maybe the overworking, but I can also have some tendencies that are are avoidant. Um, I don't love to... <laughs> Is he coming back? He might be... He'll, he's not going to last long. Okay. He's making a little round. He won't be long. <laughs> but, you know, so it's funny you say that. So this is a heavy topic, and I don't think it's something we all instinctively think about but that's why we want to bring it up, that it's on, on, on our minds because it is an important topic. So, you know, I, like you, I probably tend to overwork mm-hmm. and go into, how do I fix it? What do I do? Rather than just freeze. But I know people who I love dearly who they do move toward inactivity because they're just afraid of doing the wrong thing. Mm. And it, it just feels so uncomfortable. So there are a couple of things we can do as we're going through this process. 
Um, obviously, we want to always start to pray. Invite God in. Um, he's always going to be our starting point. Uh, Galatians tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So God's design is for us to walk in greater health and freedom. So, But if we're going to find that, we really have to know what it is to work in partnership with what God is doing in and through that redemptive work of Christ in our life and then the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life. So to do this first as a believer saying, Lord, help me. I want to, I want to venture into this, but then to acknowledge that, uh, for anybody who's listening, if this is resonating, know you're in good company. I think where some of the shaming comes in again, we think I'm doing this poorly. I'm, I'm the lone one out here. Gosh, look how great everybody else is doing. And they look so polished. I'm, I'm sure they're not struggling. And the fact is, I think if we're all honest and pulled back that veil a bit, this is something that is so prominent in the lives of so many. Um, so for those who who might struggle a little bit, um, this really understand, this is a critical part of the growth process to really understand, as you talked, understand how you cope and then learn to cope more effectively um, because this is really going to have an impact on how we do life. And when we failed, we're just not alone in that, that we are among so many who are trying to figure out how to get this right. And then to take some time, like I shared, I stopped. I'm like, what is happening here? And I listed, excuse me, these shoulds that were bombarding my thoughts. So take some time, look at those patterns, um, the shaming thoughts, those things that your flesh is imposing on you because it wants so desperately for you to have something more or something better, um, to, for you to reach those greener places, spaces, or positions, um, and to really be, be able to achieve some of that. And then fourth, we've got to replace those shaming thoughts. So not just identify them, we've got to start replacing them. In fact, to help with this, we want to invite those who are listening to join us for a 30-day reframing challenge. It's not going to be hard, I promise, and it's not going to be very time-consuming, but I guarantee you it will help you identify and address areas of your thinking that might need to be reworked if you're going to climb higher towards the plans, purposes, and presence of God. So for me in closing here, there's a critical truth that it took me years to kind of really tap into, and that's we become what we think about. The truth is of where our thoughts are so often planted, that's where we're going to walk out those paths. Um, and it's true, a negative thinking will so often yield negative responses just in the same way that positive thinking can yield positive responses. And almost if you think of your minds like soil and the person sowing seed, you're going to reap in like, meaning if I'm, if I'm planting corn, I'm going to reap the harvest of corn. If I'm planting negativity in my thinking, I'm going to reap negativity. So we need to be very intentional and understand what it is we're planting in our thinking and then in our lives. Okay. So you and I didn't talk about this at all, but I have a question for you. Okay. Um, so last night I found myself in just like a pit of negative thinking and, you know, we were winding down the day like for our whole family. And I just kind of, you know, I'm washing the dishes and I can feel myself having a little bit of like a pity party. Like the thoughts that I'm having have not been induced by like <laughs> anything. I, I don't feel like I was really planting negative seeds mm, all day. Right. But I was just like in this yeah. hole where, okay, then I would, you know, I, I'm there and I'm laboring hard to get out of this negative tailspin thoughts. And, 
I just effortlessly kept finding myself doing it again. So if you find yourself in kind of a cyclical thing like that, or you just feel like I can't really get out of this in the moment, what are some pointers that you have maybe for somebody? Oh, Hannah, that is a great question. And we're going to provide a little bit of these tools with, um, when we give some instruction for that 30 day reframing challenge. But so first is stopping, interrupting. Mm -hmm. So a a really neat tick, a trick that I heard, I think it was Mel Robbins who said this, that count out loud, five, four, three, two, one. What it does is it actually forces your brain to stop what it's thinking Mm -hmm. and actually think through the, okay, I'm gonna count backwards. Um, And to, to disrupt the thinking, it'll go to the counting and doing that. So now you've disrupted that thought. But it, we've got to come back to that replacing thought. So are there truths that you can start to insert that that can replace what's going on? And and I think where we make a mistake when we talk about doing this is somebody comes up with these truths of that we don't even believe. Tomorrow's going to be the best day I've ever had. <laughs> well, no, like you know <laughs> in your reasonable, <laughs> reasonable thinking, tomorrow might not be a great day. So right. it's got to be something like, okay, Wherever I am, I know that God has me in this and he has good things planned. So whatever those things, and we can provide some, some of those disruptors, some of those good thoughts that you can insert in when, when you're starting to feel the pressure, these cascading shoulds, you're like, oh, oh, hold on. These are the things you, first, the fact that you caught it, Hannah, is huge. A lot of people will go through that evening just feeling bad. They'll end up binge watching they'll end up eating four gallons of ice cream because they just felt bad mm-hmm. you caught yourself so that in in and of itself right there's a victory Sweet. so even saying like man okay i'm starting to see this so and then when you see it this recognition of this isn't bad like okay this isn't a bad thing this this is me now maturing to an ability where i can identify this and now i can direct my mind toward more intentional constructive thinking Mm -hmm. so it really is a process what right now for some might this may sound very cumbersome very very kind of bulky this actually actually becomes something seamless Mm. when when you start to do this and it becomes a pattern you don't even have to think about it it becomes as seamless as those shoulds that are popping up Mm -hmm. this is you immediately know how to respond yeah that's so helpful thank you for sharing that um a couple of things that i was just thinking about uh as you were talking, I think gratitude is one of the biggest weapons mm. I have found. Because oh, um, I'm normally frustrated or feeling having a pity party about something very minute that I'm letting like really mm. just dig in yep. under my skin. Um, but if I flip it and say like, "What am I grateful for?" that just disarms it. I don't know why, but it does. It just disarms it. And then removing myself for a minute to go outside sometimes is like a really... What you're doing, you're disrupting it, which is so oh, smart. Yeah, true. You're disrupting it. Yeah, which that's is, and true. And I, I recently heard, and was I telling you this? I don't know who I was telling, but I heard that the science of it, your brain cannot stay in an anxious place and a gratitude, a place of gratitude at the same time. Oh, wow. That you have got to disengage one to go engage the mm-hmm. other. And so gratitude is so critical for, for some of this transition. So when we say, think of the things you're grateful for, you can always be like, oh, come on, give me a break. Mm-hmm. Actually, the science behind it is because you're shutting down one part of your brain. You're disengaging that to turn on a whole nother part, which is the part you want to engage. Wow. So helpful. So helpful. Okay. So as Claudia mentioned, scripture is really clear. You know, we're going to reap what we sow, but we're told in Proverbs 23 that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So it's very important. We not only understand and identify what is preoccupying our thoughts, but we are also very intentional in shaping and framing those thoughts according 
to scripture. So I also love that we are presenting this 30-day reframing challenge. Uh, In fact, Claudia, I want to go out on a limb here and make an offer for 20 people who complete this 30-day challenge and are willing to write in briefly about your journey. Um, We would love to maybe send you a Climbing Fierce t-shirt. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) and we're serious about this i know we're giggling but we're serious about helping you move into greater health and readiness as a child of god and so we're serious about giving you a t-shirt if you participate and write in briefly about your journey so listen okay this is not something you should do we're not shaming you with the shoulds here but this is just something that you're invited to do as we collectively climb together on this journey of faith so thanks for being with us today and we will see you soon fellow climbers Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast, wherever you stream your podcasts. Be sure to check out today's show notes for more resources, links, and helpful tools on today's topic. You can find these resources and more on our website at www.growthpointperspective.com. If this podcast has been at all impactful for you or someone you know, let us know, leave us a review, or send it to a friend who might need to hear about today's topics. And if you have any questions or an episode idea for us, or you want to get in contact with our team, email hello at growthpointperspective.com. Until next time, friends, go climb fierce.